It's the never-ending podcast. The never-ending podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the never-ending podcast. I am your one of your two hosts yet again, Sean Holt from Canada. And with me, as always, Liz Guterbach from America. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> but we are, of course, both uh, here in London, which is beautiful and sunny. I talk about weather more than I've ever talked about it uh, since I have moved to London. It's one of the first things you learn to do. It makes everybody comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time. In in Canada, we you do, but like it's like begrudging because either yeah. it's awful or it will soon be awful. Oh my. <laughs> god like i yeah you guys have real snow like actual real snow yeah yeah not the hilarious snow here oh it must be hilarious to you like my parents used to live in michigan for a little while and i grew up in california so i'd never experienced anything do do they talk about the weather much in because i feel like in california you're just like nice again yep and then you just kind of move on Certain parts of California, where I grew up in the Central Valley, uh, it was a real wide range. And we had this stuff called Thule fog, which was so thick that if you put your, if you could stand in this fog, you could put your hand in front of your face and you wouldn't be able to see your hand. That sounds like, awesome. Pretty intense weather. Well, we would have like, school would get canceled because the fog was so intense. Um, and we would have fog days where the buses, like school would start later because the fog was so intense. So the Central Valley of California, it runs in real extremes. It's not like cold, snowy stuff, but there's varying weather. So people have a perception of California that's all, well, one, that it's all the beach, and two, that it's always sunny. But LA, uh-huh. I would say, LA is more like that, and it's like hot, you know, desert heat. But Michigan, man. That's I, weather. That's I certainly weather. have have that perception that uh, it is a hundred percent beach and oh, yeah. always sunny. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are some parts where that is true near the beach. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So I guess you can better visualize the nothing probably than me. Then, like you can understand this idea of oh that, that fog. Oh. It's very, very real, very visceral to me. The idea of seeing the world before your eyes just completely disappear. Like you could watch, watch this fog creeping in. It's really cool, but also very scary. And lots of, it was like a real road hazard and people, there were lots of accidents and like some really yeah. serious. So yeah, you I can really visualize. drive in this. Cause we drove through like snow and ice and, but you can kind of learn how to do that. Um, like you, you just learn of, how to ice drive, but yeah. fog seems like I don't I don't understand how you would drive through something that you can't see through. No, I mean you, people people would do it, but you drive at like you know fifteen miles an hour or something like that with your headlights on, and that's kind of all you could do. You would try to avoid it'd be early morning and like really early morning, yeah. where it would be most affected like where it most affected people's movements but uh you know the nothing is everywhere the nothing is everywhere in fantasia they were driving i mean one could say a was uh riding through the fog 
on this whole journey, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know it was in front of him. Metaphorical. And, he, and he went anyway. He did it anyway. This is probably why they don't use their cars because they know of the nothing. And it's a similar sort of thing. It's road safety. That's uh, right. They won't be able to see through. Look, if I, when I think of places that know their road safety, I think Fantasia. of Tulare County where I grew up <laughs> and Fantasia. Yeah, those two top places. Two, top two, top road, two safety. road safety places. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, so la- last time we had talked about uh, the first two gates of the Southern Oracle. Uh, yeah. And we had wrapped up with Bastion through the book because um, it was too much. This is right. too, this has gone too far, says Bastion. So- Enormous memories were too much. I'm throwing this book aside. No, it's because he came face to face with the trailer. For the first time. And he was like, no, no, that's it. I'm done. Um, so that, you expect that kid, has, that kid has better hair than me. I'm done. I'm finished. So you would expect that minute 60 to 70, um, there's a big str- a big internal struggle in Bastion. Does he keep reading the book? Uh, which is obviously not at all the case. Uh, he <laughs> picks it right back up like nothing had happened at all, lights some candles, lays down, and gets right back to reading. Oh, he gets back in the mood real quickly. I am so sorry I said that. It is. <laughs> I'm like, I do not want to sexualize Bastion in any way, shape, or form. That's gross. No, yeah. I don't think it's even possible. He is uh, no. oh, as asexual as could oh. possibly be. Good. Bless yeah. poor Bastion. Oh God. And I was listening to, you know, <laughs> I was listening to myself talk about Atreyu getting thrown in the mud. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> oh, Liz, that is, you know, when I was 11, fine. You were now, age appropriate at the time. I was age appropriate at the time. Yeah. Now, not appropriate at all. But anyway. Yeah, ba- so- Bastion just gets <laughs> right back on the horse. He just, he just, that's a really bad metaphor, Sean. It is, yeah, yeah. Since Atreyu can't get back on the horse. Come on, man. Be sensitive. No, but but Bastion gets straight back in there because like all the rest of us, he wants to know what's going to come next for Atreyu. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so he just immediately lays down and then he looks up. Uh, He looks up and he's like, the Southern Oracle? As though, and this doesn't make, because, uh, Atreyu goes through the second gate to the third gate. And then it's like Bastion sees the Southern Oracle up ahead and is like, oh, is that the Southern Oracle? But he's reading a book. So in the book, one would think that the author has said something like, and here's the Southern Oracle or describing the Southern Oracle. But Bastion's like, oh, I know what that is. It's a Southern Oracle. He he, just guesses it. This again, I can't emphasize enough how annoying my brother and I found him like i've said this before every time they would cut back to bastion we'd be like oh come on just uh just keep reading kid we do not care and he would be like the southern oracle yeah great let's just see it so they're walking (laughs) to the second gates of the oracle we talked on this before the second gates are of course the first gates uh but with different paint with different paint same boobies different paint they have slightly covered the nipples, though. And I think it might just be because they've glommed on a layer of kind of rough blue paint over the old gold paint. 
so they're a little. I really looked. At, I really looked at this, um, and the nipples are slightly less, slightly less nipply. It's kind of like a rough, lumpy paint that's uh, on top of it. Uh, and so he, Atrey, walks to the second uh, gate, and they just have a message. It's not or the third gate, and there's not really a test here. No. Uh, the oracle just has the message for him. This mm. is, and the oracle just tells him that uh, that the empress needs a name. And in the in the book, um, he walks into like a cave, and it's just like a disembodied voice. Uh, ah. So there's a difference there, but this makes more sense for like a visual medium than it's invisible voices. And they've spent all this money on building these big ass sphinxes with their big uh, with their big mams. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah. With those hot mams, so may as well reuse them. <laughs> may as well, yeah. I, I, it's interesting because, yeah, when he's finally at the Southern Oracle, I always found uh, that voice very soothing. Oh, the voice of of the Oracle, the yeah. voice of the Oracle, very soothing, but very sad. And then I also found myself annoyed that she didn't give, and I'm classing her as a she, um, that. That she didn't give more information. Right. It's just you need to find a human child, and that child needs to give the childlike empress a name, which is a yeah. really weird thing that needs to happen. I don't totally it's understand. Very, and I can't remember. Does Bastion react to this information? Do we ba- see him react? Bastion, uh, again, stops reading. One of the eight billion times he stops reading the book. <gasps> Walks over to the window, stares longingly at the clouds for a time, and then mm-hmm. says something about, um, my mother had a great name. <gasps> yes, I remember being so, my mother had a great name. The way he says it, it's so earnest. Yeah. Yet again, me being annoyed at this poor kid whose mom is dead, and he's remembering it, and all I can think is, you're so annoying. It's such a weird, and I'm. I think I'm mixing up the timing of it a little bit because um, yeah. that it, there's some sort of intercut between that bit and uh, right after the oracle, uh, mm. which is when uh, Atreyu is gonna just climb on to Falcor. So he's yeah. like, like I don't know where to find a human boy. Uh, like how how do I get one? And then he just goes back to Falcor, which okay. takes him like zero that- time. Well, we see the or that was definitely something I wanted to talk about. We see the oracle start to fall apart, start to disintegrate. Yeah, right? start to crumble. Yeah, and I always thought that was really scary and sad, and also thought that when the nose fell off, it would definitely crush him. But uh, yeah, that I couldn't tell if the oracle is falling apart because of the nothing, because the nothing is there. Yeah, I think so. I think the nothing has just reached the oracle. I think that the, the, this part again is explained in the book that the nothing has just reached the oracle, mm-hmm. and uh, Atreyu somehow jumps back to Falcor, who's who's and getting it takes him, like, uh, two seconds before it took him such a long time to get to the oracles. It's like I guess the the first sphinxes were just like ah, you already made it through. All right, see you later. <laughs> And Urgle standing on top of Falcor with this uh, huge hypodermic needle, shooting him full of vitamins. Vitamins, yeah. And you see 
Falcor's tongue, I always found when he shouted out and his big tongue flapped out. There was something really satisfying about that. I don't know why. I, lo- I love, uh, they do a good job of, because they've made this giant animatronic Falcor, um, mm-hmm. and they obviously can't use him a lot in a lot of different positions. So they do an so okay job. That was of- their like, last attempt to be like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, let's, let's just let's, leave him where he was. Leave him where he was. We'll manufacture a scenario where we have to see his entire body. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Atreyu gets back to Falcor, uh, and then we get the awesome flying scene, which is a strange scene because we've just established that uh, the world's almost ending. Atreyu's just seen the Southern Oracle fall apart. He's been tasked with this impossible task that he doesn't think is at all possible. So he has a super fun ride on his luck dragon friend, just like pumping his fist in the air. How is this the first time I've only recognized the incongruity of this scene? Like he's just been given some deep, like hard news kind of. And then he's just, we're up in these beautiful yellowy pink clouds and he is super excited. Having yeah. the most fun of his entire life riding no, no. on this luck dragon. No, was I, Sean? I <laughs> wanted to be there, and I was because I forgot all about all the trouble. And so did Bastion, guaranteed. I wonder if this is one of those places where uh, Spielberg moved around the scenes a bit. If he was like, <laughs> "This is getting too yeah. grim. Let's put yeah. something happy in," because it's just this weirdly happy scene of him. Yeah. So excited. He does the weirdest. Um, he does this fist pump where he pumps his fist, then he spins it around like he's lassoing. Yeah. Both uh, podcast listeners, both Sean and I are doing that action because we have no idea what it is. Have you ever doing a fist pump is one thing, but you do like one and it kind of goes, but then he just keeps going like he's got a lasso. Yeah, yeah. Most humans do it Do it like like Judd Hirsch at the end, or not, is it Judd Hirsch at the end of uh, Breakfast Club Breakfast when they Club. freeze frame yeah. on the fist Which pump. It's such a weird freeze frame as well. I'm like, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I think, know exactly I think every film should end with a freeze frame. I think that should be the law. <laughs> Imagine at the end of Dust Boots. They're just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every so single film. Yeah, yeah, just end, like, Schindler, we completed your list. Like, Freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so wrong. I'm sorry, Grandma. Uh, oh, God. That's so funny. <laughs> I, if every Okay, from now on, every film ends in a freeze frame. Uh, and we have to choose who... It, it always has to be the lead character, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Even if, if they've died, if there's a... <laughs> If there's like a very serious, <laughs> yeah, Hamlet, Hamlet needs to be dead. Fortinbras comes in and then he just like pops up and freeze frame fist pump. Hamlet. Do they have to say the title of the movie? At the oh, end they should. Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. They yeah. <laughs> just pops up. Uh, Hamlet. Yeah. Hamlet. Yeah. I love it. Great. Done. Save him, Private yeah, Ryan. Yeah. It's such a weird such a weird cut, such a weird fist pump. And it's a strange ride. And then, and then I think all of a sudden it all changes, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They run into, in, into the cloud. I'm realizing too, with a fist pump 
spinny thing. It's a bit like yeah. cowboys do with, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Rodeo. Yeah. Because I, I grew up in Calgary, which is the biggest rodeo in the world. Uh, yeah. Rodeo's there all the time. Um, so I kind of grew up around rodeo a bit. And yeah. uh, so they do do that to stay on the back, like when they're riding. Oh, for balance. So you think yeah. maybe riding Falcor is kind of like riding a bull or a bucking bronco and he's doing it for balance? I, do, I don't really, though, because he's pretty comfy. And I think he's just doing you know, it because he doesn't understand fist pumps. Sean, there's a saying that has caught on in the UK that really irritates me. And I'll hear British people say, this is not my first rodeo. Oh, and you know what? People say it a yeah. lot. And I've asked immediately after, I'm like, have you ever been to a rodeo? And they say no. And it makes me upset. Yeah. So they should say. That's because, that's because they, I'm an asshole and a pedant. And I should <laughs> just let people say whatever they want to say. But I think. Um, they should say this is my first. Or I don't even know because they haven't been to a rodeo. So they should say. Been- if this is what a rodeo is, but I wouldn't know since I've never attended one, this right now is my first rodeo that I'm experiencing. That, that should so be the much thing. Truthful. That's what they should say. If everybody <laughs> could please start saying that instead of this is not my first rodeo, it'd be really. <laughs> yeah. If you could just say to preface this before I continue, I've never attended a rodeo. If this, what I'm currently experiencing, is in fact a rodeo, I would like you to know that this is my first rodeo. Um, And this is something I have experienced, but yeah, oh my God, this is just great. We're really, we're really helping people here. I think that's going to solve a lot of problems, yeah. I'd like to say that in this instance, I'm listening to myself and going, my God, I'm as annoying as Bastion. (laughs) Really, really am, really am pulling out all the stops here. (laughs) <laughs> it is hard to be, uh, but they, they, you're right that they, uh, it ends. So they have the awesome music, the do, 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 Yes. So fun. And then it is. And then they get to the, uh, it gets real cloudy, um, which is kind of how I guess the nothing is meant to be represented, but it's also in the books. In the books at this point, they run into, there's this weird, side thing that's this fight between the four winds and they've just okay. met up to fight uh oh. it's honestly the most cuttable part of the book by far it is not mm-hmm. necessary and so <laughs> we still get this kind of implied because there's winds and then they blow a tray off of falcor and he lands in the uh, ocean right uh, right and it's actually a really great job of adapting the book and just taking out a part that we did not need yeah. and he wakes up on the beach uh, next to this right. really cool looking, uh, and I know that you will appreciate this, like Minas Tirith looking, uh, yes. rumbled down city. Which, yeah. Which I thought of as Return to Oz. Uh, oh, yeah. And that movie, oh my God, what an impact. It absolutely looks like where the, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the wheelers. wheelers. Yeah. The where wheel- the wheel- yeah. So creepy, the wheel. So scary. Oh my God, they're so scary. That whole movie is so creepy and so cool. Um, I used yeah. to love that. I mean, more than the, I mean, more than the original, because the original was so like nicey, nicey. I, I love I mean, the original too, but. I love the original too. I think it's it, a bit I different, like, obviously, I like the of a different era, but the style of the sequel is really interesting. 
Well, I like um, the later books more in the... I never read the Oz books. I really should. They get pretty cool. Yeah, they get yeah. cooler as it as it moves along. Uh, the first one's fine, but I actually prefer them when Dorothy's not in them. Uh, yeah. The other characters are... But Dorothy's cool because she's Feruza Balk, who's great. Which uh, I love. I mean, she's been in so many things that I love. Yeah. Yeah, um, like The Craft. That is a cool oh movie. Oh, my God. She's so badass in that. She's also in American History X. Right. Um, yeah. But there's that that movie and that scene when, when Atreyu lands and he is in front of that city, absolutely so reminiscent of of Return to Oz. And then one of, is is this when we get to the... Just about, yeah, yeah. So Atreyu yeah. is there, and then uh, somewhere in the midst of this, we get the uh, Bastion looking out his window at the clouds, which are, yeah. like, the clouds that they're flying through slash running into. Um, so he looks outside and is like, ooh, cloudy, yeah. and then shuts the window. But it's like he's been looking out for a while and hasn't been. And we touched on this last time, how how ADD he clearly is, like how short of chunks of this book he can read even though he's committed yeah. to reading this entire enormous book uh, before he goes home one would imagine but i mean what time do we think it is by now it's gotta be because like school ended at 3 p.m let's assume mm-hmm. and he's been up there and it's now dark right yeah yeah it's now dark so he's we- had to light the sexy candles uh yeah really and i'm mood. assuming I know that he's in, he's in, this was filmed in Canada, right? So I don't know what time the sun sets in the summertime. It seems like summertime. Yeah, this is filmed in Vancouver. And if it is summertime, that means it's like nine, ten o'clock. By the time it gets dark. So he's been there for hours. Yeah, yeah. He's been there a long time. Luckily, he's still got a lot of sandwich left. That's right. And how long has he been looking out the window? I'm thinking at least three hours. He's just been <laughs> staring at the clouds, thinking about stuff. <laughs> well, he always has his head in the clouds. His dad said it. His so, dad did yeah. say it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he he shuts the window and, well, he yeah. shuts the window and then says the, uh, my mom had such a great name. Yeah. Because um, he... Yeah. Although you you know that he still doesn't realize he's the one who has to say the name, even though he's thought of the name, it's so terribly obvious to everyone. Um, because still, they say you need to find a human child. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, who could that be? <laughs> he, he hasn't put it together. He's ah. given all the pieces. This is like this is like one of those eight-piece puzzles you get out of a Christmas cracker. Uh, <laughs> and he cannot complete the puzzle. No. He does not too know. Much. But yeah, so uh, Atreyu gets to the town, um, which is really cool looking. And it's, uh, so it's like this vacant, um, crumbled town. And this is explained, this is one part in the book that is actually kind of good is all the people in this town capture Mm. Atreyu uh, and then they're drawn into the nothing. Yeah. So anyone who's kind of hopeless or like losing imagination, they just kind of walk into it like of their own accord uh, and like they're doomed. Oh, sinister. Yeah, it's really, this part's really dark of like this whole town just kind of slowly all together, like walks. I wonder if that's, I wonder if that would be part that Senor Spilbergo had to cut out. I I don't know if they would have ever filmed it. It could be a really cool scene, but man, that would be intense for kids. Like, Well, because, yeah, that would be really intense. Like that, yeah, what a dark image. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really, uh, but they replace it with another almost equally intense dark part. Yeah. Uh, with because the rock biter starts to move, and this part I don't believe is in the book. Um, the rock biter starts to kind of shift, and he's one of the walls, and he sits up, mm-hmm. uh, and then we get the so sad. This this part's almost sadder to me than than our tax. I agree, and actually, when I'm uh, upon rewatch, I remember uh, I, I wrote down or just marked, you know, the the strong hand speech by the rock writer is just so sad because he's like, even he can't save Fantasia, and he's like, they look like big strong hands. Yeah, and he, get these hands. he and all of his friends and everything just kind of slip through. And it's again, it's the eyes that are so expressive, and the voice, obviously, by Alan Oppenheimer. But what I didn't realize, and the uh, fact that I read about uh, um, Never Ending Story again, is that all the the I, I I'm going to say minor, but I don't mean minor characters because I think everyone in this film is important, but <laughs> the sort of uh, lesser support, su- the supporting cast, mm-hmm. a lot of those uh, voices were, um, or the animatronics and things were done in German and then the voices were done over it. Oh, okay. So those parts are dubbed over in English. Yeah. And I, I don't know, that doesn't, I just read that, how, how I guess some viewers have found that jarring. But I was looking at this, and I was just going, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Yeah. The meaning and the, the, the faces, the expressions of all those characters, and especially Rockbiter in this moment, it's just so, so moving and so sad. Well, and as you say, on par with, mm-hmm. with our text, even if they may be sadder. Well, and I, I certainly didn't think that the voice didn't match the like mouth moving. And I don't, I wonder if it was like stop motion. I was trying to figure this out when I was watching it. If it has a bit of that, like Roy Harryhausen stop motion-y. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So the dialogue was filmed in German. A lot of the actors brought onto the production were German. So I wonder. Yeah. So it's a night hob was uh in german and the rock fighter was in german as well but again that's going to be whoever was doing the animatronics or the whatever the technology was i I assume it would be 1984 it's probably stop motion yeah i don't think it makes a difference at all but it's just an interesting little fact but yeah that that performance and that moment is just so sad because it's it's defeat and you can see it in the it's you know it's it's true defeat and rockbiter is such a fun character yeah yeah the first time we see him he's so positive and he's got all his yeah. fun friends that he's met when he rolls up his uh yeah. his crazy rock motorcycle thing and, and he's uh, just very sweet and earnest and i love, I love the rockbiter oh this makes me really sad yeah it is, it's really i feel like if they made it now if they were to do a remake they would probably show when like they would cut back to the nothing to him trying to hold his friends and his friends slipping through <laughs> his fingers yeah. into the nothing and i don't know if that would be sadder but this is so just him saying the like i tried to hold on to them and i couldn't and they all just 
slipped through my fingers and into yeah. the nothing. Is- I cried again watching it because it's just, it's so, yeah, he, he really tried and he couldn't do it. Yeah. And this whole bit is shot really well. Like the city looks great. Uh, the yeah. rock biter looks great. And I assume he must be superimposed onto the city. I'm not sure how they did it. And then in Treyu, uh, like within all of that, uh, it looks like they've built a little mini crumbled city or at least a smidge of it. Mm-hmm. They've probably yeah. built the opening and then done that big painty wall that they used to do. Uh, yeah. Before we had blue screen. Some of which are so obvious sometimes and other times look really great. But yeah, so interesting. Uh, but it's, it's really sad. The And his saying that the, the nothing is coming. Um mm-hmm to swallow a treyu and then this is right before we're finally going to see Gamorg. Uh, yeah. and we're going to have that clash of their two journeys coming together yeah absolutely but it's, we don't uh, get to that yet because that happens after the 70 minute mar- the 70 minute mark that's uh, so right. 70 minutes is right at the end of uh of the rockbiter saying these used to be such strong hands don't these look like strong hands so sad we're ending on a ending on a down note today <laughs> i know it is it is it's really it's yeah. really a it's but really it's a bummer a, i think it really speaks you know one of the things i love so much about this and this whole process is you know all the talent that it takes to go into a movie like this even something that in some ways is so easy to make fun of like it's things like that that are the reason why we're still talking about it and why we remember mm-hmm. it as kids, even if it's a little bit subconscious or I didn't always understand exactly what was going on, you know, it's because there's meaning in these, in, in this movie that even though some parts are super cheesy, um, it's just, it is also, there's some really great like film magic and stuff going on. And well, it's, it's, nice really that it, it's not afraid of being earnest and they really, yeah, there's not a point in this movie where they've thrown in like just a like a like just a silly joke. Like there's yeah. not just like a throwaway joke. Like they never sell in improv. They call it like selling out the scene, right? Yeah. We built all of this platform, and it's so easy sometimes just to comment on what's happening or just to make that easy joke. But then you've killed everything. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they don't. They never do sure, it. As we've said in the in the second. Well, as I've said, you know, in the second and third ones, there is there's an earnestness and an originality in the first ones that 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 exists. And I know partially that's going to be because I'm biased and I watched the first one so much. But Mm -hmm. there's also, you know, sequels often suffer from not all the time, but follow up films can often suffer from a little bit of that cheapness. And uh there's something about this movie, yeah, like you say, and the, er- the earnestness of it that they did capture, even if... <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it goes too far. Sometimes it is way too earnest. And well, I mean, you I wish think you notice that with fashion. Yeah, you're just like, come on. But yeah, uh, yeah I think it's interesting that Michael Indy is... I feel like maybe in the Rockbiter section and the Artex section, I wonder, I would be really curious to see if Michael Indy was at least happy with those scenes. I, I get the sense because I've I've read through most of the book now and it's fine. Um, yeah. I get the sense that 
he maybe he thinks more of it than he should. Like it's a little bit like uh, I, don't, I don't know if you remember when Anne Rice, when Interview for the Vampire or with the Vampire was coming out, and she was like, "Oh my God, uh, Tom Cruise was cast as Lestat," and she took out this whole like a one-page thing in New York Times to talk about how Tom Cruise, uh, how she was wrong, and Tom Cruise was going to be the people were going to look at his Lestat like they look at uh, Lawrence Olivier's Hamlet. Um, Good Lord, really? Yeah, yeah. And she thought a lot of her, of of, of in, in interview uh, with a vampire, which anyone wow. who wasn't alive when that movie came out uh, has never heard of because it <laughs> immediately was erased from the public. Like no one's going, really oh, was, remember. You know, I, I remember watching that uh, re-watching that movie when I was older, I didn't really, I watched it when I was a t- teenager, I think, and I, it just kind of glossed by, and then I re-watched it, and I tell you what, Kirsten Dunst's performance is really pretty incredible. She really, some, I mean, she really embodies an older woman in a child's body, mm. and it's really creepy, <laughs> and so it is very creepy but it's so well done yeah. and that that to me that was the performance that stuck out in that movie so Anne Rice should have been writing about that Sitting <laughs> uh, yes it was such a weird thing because it was it was actually it was a fine movie like I'm sure yeah I haven't watched it, it in is. a long time it's pretty good it's got yeah. Tom Cruise Brad Pitt um That's yeah, Dunn. yeah it's it, like it's a solid movie uh the book is enormously forgettable uh, is gotta, it really <laughs> oh my goodness yeah yeah it is like how how many adjectives can i fit on a page like oh, no. the rain was wet and cold and diagonal and sleet-ish and moist and like it's just oh it's a uh, excuse me and wet and moist are <laughs> quite similar <laughs> similar-ish yeah, I, I I can say I certainly did not uh, read the second one. Uh, I read it oh, when I was like, man. I read it when I was a kid. The first one, um, it would Is have it been called, right when it came out. I was going to say something so stupid. I'm going to say it now. Called podcast with a vampire. Podcast uh, with a yeah. It's a recent remake. Uh, it's all <laughs> the same things happen. Just uh, there's electricity. You know, listeners, we were going to end on a down note because of now we ended on a real down, down note. On a real down note. Yeah, podcast with a vampire. You can thank Liz Guterbach for that. Uh, uh, they did right? make sequels, and they're terrible. They're unwatchable. Yeah. Oh, really? Wait, they made the sequels of Interview with the Vampire? Yeah, yeah, Queen of the Damned. And um, oh. something else, too. I think the sequel oh book was that like was Lestat. Aaliyah. Yeah, Queen it was with Aaliyah. Aaliyah. Oh, my yep. God, I never watched it. I never watched it. It's wow. it's not it's not good. It's not a great. <laughs> I liked Aaliyah just fine. Um, yeah, the of course. F- film is not great. This film is not good. Well, well, guys. I mean, what are we coming back with next time? Uh, next next time, I I think we're finally gonna see uh, a trade. Oh, yeah, you said meet Gamorg. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was listening. The- I just. Yeah, and, and we're gonna see the part that scared me more than almost any part in any movie uh, in my childhood. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. It is yeah. terrifying. It's very, very terrifying. It is, it is very scary. 
really scary. Yeah, this is another oh, chunk. We're going to tell you what it is. We're going to tell you what it is next time, dudes. It's another chunk that's different than the book, and it's another chunk that I actually think is better than the book. Um, Great. Yeah, there's a few. I, I feel like Michael Ende was just being precious with his book, but honestly, uh, there mm-hmm. are some bits that this does that could have been better, like mm. uh, like the one that is many that captures Falcor. Um, All right. But there are a few bits in here that I really do not miss having uh, from the book that I'm fine. Uh, that is one thing that I like, you know, about film that I think it used to bother me that there would be parts that are missed out. But sometimes it's not that the film improves it, but it's just that it gets the story across sometimes more efficiently. Because? Yeah, well, you have to because you only have so much time. I still, I still, ninety percent of the time, the book is better. But uh, yeah, there are times I, when I watched a movie and thought, yeah, it's cool, and I don't want it to be exactly the same, honestly, because I've already read the book. So I think there's also something about, uh, like, especially recently, there's something about the fan culture around it that I, I worry that the fans start to control the outcome of whatever the makers may have in mind. And I don't know that I agree with that. I think, you know, people should be making things to make them. And sometimes, sometimes those things are not going to be satisfying and sometimes they are, but we have to kind of give room for that to be. That's why it's interesting talking about an old movie because like ultimately it's beloved. Like I love it. It's so exciting and sure there are things that could have been done better but i'm actually glad they weren't because it gives us something to talk about yeah and where this made today twitter would be well it would be twittering as it does (laughs) you've never actually been on twitter have you i do not have a twitter account i have (laughs) sadly seen tweets um and i'm set my life is worse every time i read anything that has occurred on it Sean, I cannot emphasize this enough. Make sure that you keep off Twitter so that when you say words like tweets, it sounds like it's like I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like you can say tweets and I can say tweets and it sounds 40 years older coming from me. <laughs> it absolutely does. Absolutely. And I love it. I love you for that. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll hopefully see y'all next time to talk about the terrifying Gamorg meeting. Ooh, looking forward to it. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) 